0: good morning morning. morning. our scripture readings today are from the day of pentecost first from the old testament command in leviticus 23 and then its new testament fulfillment in acts chapter 2. first from leviticus chapter 23 verses 15 through 17. from the day after the sabbath the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering count off seven full weeks Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Now from Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 45. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Lord, we for your word and we pray lord that you would uh speak to our hearts guide this time use it for your glory thank you uh father that you desire to reveal yourself and you want us to understand more about you and come before you in worship and it's in that confidence that we uh come to you today in jesus name amen um You know, there's—I don't know if you found like these days. It seems like there's a day for everything. You know, people call like this is like burrito day and this day. And I don't know if anyone knows. You know, a Hobbit day. There's a Hobbit day now, and it's September 22nd. So you can mark it off right now. That's Hobbit day. And you might think, why September 22nd for Hobbit day? Well, for people who are well-read in the lore of Lord of the Rings, that is Bilbo's birthday, and of course also Frodo's birthday. People who don't know the Lord of the Rings, you're thinking, "Yeah, whatever. Those are the main characters, and that was that day. Um, if it wouldn't think you know about, um, if you know much about Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings, you know that days like this, and there's very few days even mentioned anywhere in the Lord of the Rings books. So you know there's some significance to it. And especially if you understand that he did, this was not like a, a commercial work, you know, he wasn't trying to sell a whole bunch of copies. This was a work of passion. He spent like 20 years, you know, he was an old, you know, a professor of old English and Anglo-Saxon language and ancient languages and myth. And he tried to build a giant mythology, you know, and there's all these like really irrelevant ancient stories, but he did it out of passion. He wrote an entire elven language, language of elves, And that may seem like crazy, but he didn't have entire pages of just poetry and wouldn't even tell you what it means. There's no translation, there's nothing. You know, you're like, it means nothing, like whole pages of utter gibberish. But he was like, so into it. You know, it made tons of sense to him. And so you come to September 22nd, and of course, you know, he went like, ooh, that's the perfect day. Why? Now, it so happens, my birthday September 22nd. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I want to know why. Like, why was this, you know, what is the significance of that day? I'm thinking it wasn't. going, that's Garrett's birthday. You know, it predated my birth, sadly. But uh, so it was a prophecy, maybe. No, I, you know, I don't know. But, um, but I was still like, why? And so I've always kind of been like hunting around and searching around. And, you know, there's entire like, you know, the web, you can find anything on the web, right, you know? So there's, there's all these conversations between all these, like, Tolkien nerds trying to figure out why September 22nd. And so I'll give you some of their research, because I know you really care. Um, <clears throat> they say, it's around the date of the autumnal, uh, autumnal equinox. Tolkien often placed significance on the dates of the equinox and the solstice. Even so, why the autumnal one? Am I pronouncing that right? Autumnal? Autumnal. Um, Does the coming of shorter and colder days after September 22nd symbolize the coming of the shadow? Is there a reason that Frodo's adventure begins roughly on the autumnal equinox and ends roughly on the spring equinox? Is it because mortality is such a major theme in uh, Lord of the Rings? Ooh, maybe. Other person asked for specific dates. I have no idea. I wonder if they had a personal meaning for Tolkien, such as birthdays of his children or when he met his wife or married them, etc. Tom Bombadil was a toy for the kids that Tolkien told them stories about and then he incorporates them as a real life character into his book. So possibly he made the connections with these specific dates in his wife. Here's my favorite and the last one, don't worry. How about astrology? Says this person, right? Don't laugh, the Magi were astrologers. September 22nd's on the cusp between Virgo and Libra. In Genesis 49, Jacob, to some commentators, relates his 12 sons to the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Of course, to what commentators? I don't know. Um, (laughs) None I'm familiar with, but it's okay. Uh, Commentators say, say, whoever they say, never trust a commentator, say Libra corresponds to Asher and Virgo corresponds to Dan. Genesis 48, out of Asher, his bread shall be fat and he shall yield royal dainties. Way too much time these people have, way too much time. So the the bottom line, why September 22nd? No idea still, no idea. Although I'm convinced there's a reason and maybe someday in my life, you know, we'll find out. I don't know. Why do I care today? Well, we're in our series, um, All Things New, The Prophecies of Pentecost. And uh, you know, with this series, we're actually showing how all these promises and pictures and themes in the scripture come to fulfillment in Pentecost. And they're all pictured being fulfilled through that chapter, through all this text. All these different, you know, if it's prophecies or images or all this stuff happening. And uh, right on this day, and then then it's also, but it doesn't mean that everything is fulfilled in that moment. In some ways, you know, Pentecost then becomes a prophecy of the ultimate consummation. And it briefly pictures them all. So it's almost both a fulfillment of all these pictures and then a prophecy going forward. And so we've been walking through that, looking at all these different ones. And the question comes today why does all this stuff happen on the Feast of Pentecost, a pre existing holiday? And anyway, where he picked a holiday, a feast they were doing, why that day? And again, um, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Why that day? What's the, and what's the significance of what was happening that day? And then finally, how does that then relate to our faith? Because so I actually think it has a, I mean, I think when we grasp why that day, it's actually profound and, you know, I call it shuddering, you know, in some ways to ourselves and almost embracing that reason for me propels me in my walk with the Lord today. So that's what we'll be looking at today. Why that day? What's it mean? Ultimately, how does it impact us today? So why that day to start with? Um, I think many people go, well, well, we know some of the traditions we've talked about that have happened that day. You know, during Pentecost, there was a you know, a tradition that it was the giving of the law. And you can see those pictures, even at the start, it looks like a picture of Mount Sinai and like the fire on Sinai landing on people's heads, almost symbolizing the new covenant in your heart. And the, you know, almost this new law on you. You can see that we talked about how King David, right? is really stressed on Pentecost, his birth and death happened on that day. And you see the Psalms of David there, but those are all sort of traditions, you know, ones in which he's kind of bringing in that meaning. That particular, why that particular day is I believe he's following the feast calendar, very specifically, and very specifically that feast. And it's not just kind of this loose idea. I mean, if you follow the, remember the feast calendar, what, you know, Jesus was crucified on the Passover. And then on the next feast, which was the Feast of First Fruits, which is the day after the Sabbath in the Passover week, Jesus rose from the dead and, and, and even beyond that, the New Testament, you know, Paul calls him first fruits from the dead. Jesus picks up the elements of the Passover meal. And as you're thinking about the lamb who was, you know, whose blood, you know, judgment passes over you, he picks up the items and said, now remember me. You know, the very items of the Passover meal. So again, it's not chance, it's on that day. And then on Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit is given. So the question comes, what is happening on the feast calendar that's so relevant? You know, what, what's happening on that day? that makes this key idea of the next big step in the feast calendar. And keep in mind, it's not even just these beginning feasts, right? The ones that haven't happened yet, you could see pictures towards the consummation of them as well. So I'm gonna talk about two smaller things that are happening in this feast calendar and then one bigger one. So first off, you might be thinking, what is the feast calendar we're talking about? It's in Leviticus chapter 23 and it runs through seven feasts. And the first one is a weekly feast, which is the Sabbath. Uh, every seventh day, you do a Sabbath, and then like the next six are some ways, like meta Sabbaths. <laughs> you know, so the, mini, the, 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 the the weekly one, and then the big guys, and the really grip. And this is a, I've had a lot, a lot. Sorry, not a lot of time this week, to be honest with you, but uh, so this is a terrible graphic I found, but it, it'll at least help you see the seven feasts. You see three spring feasts: Passover, Unleavened Bread are one. So it's Passover, First Fruits, and Pentecost in the spring, and then the fall trumpets, you know, Rosh Hashanah, it's called a lot, day, of atonement, Yom Kippur, and uh, Sukkot, Feast of uh, Tabernacles. So that's kind of breaks up. And um, we'll, we'll look back at this thing again, you know, but I just want to, you guys get a big picture of these seven feasts. Now, one of the first pictures to um, uh, think about is the sevens. You might have seen, I've already mentioned a number of times, they are all over the chapter. Not only is there seven feasts, the first feast is the Sabbath, which is the seventh day. The first feast on the calendar, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is seven days. The final three feasts all happen in the seventh month. The seventh feast, which is Tabernacles, is guess how long? Seven days. So the seventh feast goes for seven days in the seventh month, which is, you could tell it's the climactic consummation of things should surprise us that in the end of Revelation, what happens the Feast of Tabernacles? (laughs) Says the tabernacle of God is now with man and he will dwell with them. You know, it's the consummation of all things, the picture of it, right? So now you back up to Pentecost and Pentecost is, if you remember from the reading there was specifically seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits, that one. And, you know, and one day, that's where you get the 50. That's where Pentecost is just the Greek way of saying the Feast of Weeks, You know, the seven days. So it's seven sevens. Seven is a divinely perfect amount of time. Remember creation, seven days, all, all those kind of things. And so seven sevens is this divinely perfect amount of time. Remember the Jubilee as well was seven Sabbath years and one more year, 50 years. And so it's, it looks here. So in many ways, just, you're just seeing that, um, you're understanding that this is the, like a perfect, it's like when you see that amount of time, it's like God's sacred stamp on it. You know, they said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes, wait till that comes and then at this divinely perfect amount of time, boom, it comes. So again, that's a small matter of the sevens that are happening in it and the seven sevens and God's hand upon it. The second small matter that's happening a lot is the, um, is picturing the idea of this harvest. The entire thing is layered over a harvest season, right? The feast of first fruits, um, just to kind of, if you want to back up that again. Um, So the first fruits was to be the very first sheaf that was brought in. You're not supposed to eat any of it at all. The very first thing you harvest before you have any of it was brought into the Lord, right? And that's that first feast. And then um, all the way at the end, Tabernacles happens when you've brought in the final crops of the land, when the harvest is done. And that's the key picture here. And then Jesus was, you know, raised from the dead on the first day, he's first fruits from it. And the final crops have come in. It's talking about when God brings all things together. So that makes it the final harvest. And so the, the key thing to, to see from that is that um, all of God's kingdom activity is a metaphor of one growing season. Does that make sense. So it's being layered over a singular Harvard, you know, it's on how does God's kingdom work and how does his whole plan work? It's being pictured in the form of a single harvest season. And the idea is that now is the harvest. Can you imagine now? So the first fruits offering, we have, it's another first fruits offering, Pentecost. But it's a first big chunk, if that makes sense. And so these people come in there, and then what are they doing? They're now sent into the harvest. And that's what the Bible's picturing now. We're in this harvest season, and God is bringing people into it and bring into that harvest season. Here was the first batch. The Holy Spirit empowers them and sends them out as disciples. Just to give you like a couple verses, remember Jesus says, you know, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the field. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. And if you remember what's happening right now, this is one of these cool little scenes where it's like a movie in in John chapter four, where two things are happening simultaneously. you got, Jesus has uh, met with a Samaritan woman, revealed himself to her, the Samaritan goes, whoa, it's the Messiah, and goes running back to her village and starts telling everybody about it. And all these people go, wow, is this really true? Is that not? We've got to go find him. And as he's like, as this whole group of people are going, wow, where's Jesus? And they're finding him, he's telling his disciples, Right now, man. Do you see it? Open your eyes. <laughs> it's harvesting right now. Harvesting's happening as it. And he's sending his disciples then into the harvest. And that becomes the image, really, not just for disciples, but for all of us. You know, we are sent into God's fields. We are the harvesters. God is bringing people to himself, and he is sending people out into it. And so Pentecost becomes the picture of the beginning of that thing of sending these harvesters out until the time of the end of the harvest. So that's an important picture, I think, that's happening here. But again, these are all, I think, smaller pictures. I want to talk about the, the main picture now. Um, oh, another, I mean, I just, another verse from Luke. You know, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Just to say this is because this is an imagery all over and it's being picked up all over the place. Uh, the, God's kingdom layered over the idea of the harvest. You know, we don't live in agrarian society and so we miss a lot of these stuff of what's happening with it. So just to, <clears throat> a thing you need to see with these feasts too, when you look at Leviticus 23, each feast or holiday or what do you want to call it, has a distinctive feature. And the distinctive feature is the key to grasping the symbolism of that feast. Does that make sense? I mean, you guys are still awake, which is awesome. I'm seeing people going, is he going somewhere with this? It's really, you know, it's interesting stuff. So just to march down this stuff, Passover, right, and unleavened bread, it's kind of one thing. The unique thing that sits out in that chapter is it says, there'll be no leaven eaten for seven days. That's actually the key thing in Leviticus 23. No leaven for seven days. First fruits, the unique feature as you read it that happens is it says that first sheaf of the harvest is brought unto God. That's the key piece. You know, later Feast of Trumpets, the key feature is Trumpets. And the reason I say the key feature, because that feature exists in none of the other ones. So that makes sense. That's what makes it distinctive. It's unique to that one. And that's what, so trumpets. And that's really all you have on that one. The next one, day of atonement, it says, it just, he says atonement, and then has this thing like three times. And that'll be the day you deny yourself, you deny yourself, you deny yourself. And then the last one, you see, and sometimes there's two distinctive things. Like that one has deny yourself, atonement. Here it's tabernacles. You're going to be living in tabernacles, and you're going to take these particular, very, very specific and particular items from the, uh, from the from the harvest and and rejoice before God for seven days, holding them. And these are these, and each one really kind of explodes. This is what we're doing on that day. Here's the key thing. What is the distinctive feature then of Shavuot, of Pentecost? I'm sorry, Chevrolet, Feast of Week, that's Pentecost. Sorry about that. Um, Here's the distinctive feature you count up 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, you present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring, here it is, two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of flour, of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. This is the thing that's completely different these two loaves. At the time of Jesus in the Mishnah, just you want to get the size of it, the high priest would, and this is happening on the day, right? On the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, this is what's happening in the temple. And there's, they said these low, two loaves, by the way, would be, um, it says four handbreadths wide, seven hand long, four fingers high, and each weighed, you know, approximately the ephahs, two, like five pounds each. <laughs> and to it's, me, it's, it's totally irrelevant to our point, but I think it's really interesting to picture these giant loaves being lifted up as this stuff is happening. That's what's kind of cool that people have gone from here to here. Um, but the key thing you look when you're reading at it and you're going, what, I mean, what do you, The thing I don't think hit your mind looking at those lists because what's just happening? the feast just before? It says absolutely seven days of what? No leaven, no yeast. This one specifically with yeast, sticks out with a blaring light. Like, here is the key thing. And if you want to grasp what the significance of leaven is, right, what makes this so strange is that generally leaven was to be kept away from everything. Leaven defiled things. When you're reading all the different laws, this is the kind of stuff it says, every grain offering you bring to the Lord, every grain, everyone must be without yeast. Yeast and leaven, same thing there. For you are not to burn any yeast or honey in a food offering presented to the Lord. But yet this one says specifically, stick it in. You know, do not offer the blood of a sacrifice meat with, along with anything that contains yeast, right? Yeast um, defiles things. So again, why suddenly with this thing do you put a defiling thing into the hands of the high priest before the people as the key aspect of it? And I think you can understand the unleavened bread, the symbolism of that fairly easy, right? You know, we're supposed to live holy lives, right? Without leaven in them. And uh, you see Paul even do this. Again, you think this is too crazy stuff. This is the referencing. They're making these references in the New Testament. This is clearly, I think, clearly how they're thinking about it. You know, Paul said, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are, right? You, what you really are, you're a piece of loaf but you're really a matzah, you know, without sin. You're an unleavened bread. If you ever want to look in the mirror and say, I'm a matzah. (laughs) You know, for Christ, why? Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's why. Therefore, let us keep the festival. You can tell he's not talking about literally. He's talking about this kind of this, the symbolism of that festival. Keep that now. Let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So you're, again, it's a loaf of bread, right? We're to live now. And so what kind of loaves is he lifting up there? (laughs) Loaves of malice and wickedness, essentially. (laughs) That's in there, loaves of of defilement, right? That is a pretty weird offering. That's the distinctive offering of Pentecost, Loaves loaves of defilement in some ways. And so there's one other though, distinctive feature you've got to see if you read down the thing now there's, there's offerings, all kinds of offerings on each festival, right? But they're not listed in Leviticus 23. There is one distinctive offering that's listed along with this. And it's what the, it's going to be hard to but it's a special sin offering, which essentially was a way in which, you know, that this, and you could say, well, wait, David atonement has a sin offering and they, but none of them are listed in Leviticus 23. So you're supposed to catch it, does that make sense? Your eyes catch the only distinctive feature of it. And so these defilement gets offered and the way by which it's cleansed is offered right next to it. So actually what happens on Pentecost is the cleansing of that. That's what's so cool at the start of the harvest. And I know maybe I'm going, where is this going? It's really cool. I mean, can you, now do you kind of see what's happening on Pentecost on the Acts chapter two version? And again, if you think I'm kind of nuts that these things are being layered over the distinctive features, just to remind you again, Jesus was was crucified on the Passover, the Passover lamb of God like that. You know, the first fruits he rose from the dead, feast of trumpets. And it talks about, you know, that's the return of Jesus with a trumpet call, tabernacles all the way at the end. I don't think Yom Kippur is quite as simple and clear, but all the rest of them, I think, are deadly clear. So the idea that the distinctive feature is going to play out here is clear. So I think what you see is the loaf, right? A defiled loaf. And who is the loaf? It's the people. At the end of Acts chapter 2, an offering of 3,000 souls are lifted unto God, which are not batzas. They're not pure. They're not holy. They're defiled. They're sinful. But the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice, cleanses them. And they are made clean and then sent into the harvest fields to go do it. Now, you may go, wow, well, that's neat. Really? That's what you say? It's neat? I can't believe you people. <laughs> you know, it's not neat. It's amazing. Okay, you know, I, you know this is the, uh, you know, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing. You know, if you look at something like this, I mean, to me, this is the kind of stuff when I started reading the Bible, I was just like, this thing is incredible. This this has to be written by one person at one time who stuck all this stuff together, right? Not over 40 people over 1,500 years in three different languages and all different cultures and stuff, knitting together this thing that's beyond our comprehension that just kind of all comes together as if it's the Word of God. You know, so I see something like this and I think, wow, this thing's amazing how God's playing that out. But even if that does not amaze you, and it should, what it's communicating should make you shudder. I mean, <clears throat> we, we are the loaves. We're not these holy things being brought to God. Look how good I am. Oh God, send me into the harvest because I'm such a righteous guy. No, we're all defiled. I, mean, I appreciate Rob's you know, confession at the start. You know, even in that prayer form, right? Confession, forgiveness. Then, in some ways, we enter the harvest field as intercessors, you know, but only after having been lifted up as a defiled loaf to the God. We all are that, you know. We, there's no, we don't need to pretend that we're more righteous than we are. We don't need to pretend we don't have the thoughts we do. We don't have the issues we have. God looks down and goes, I know you are a leavened loaf. And here's what I've done for you. I've made a way by which you are cleansed. That's the gospel message. That's the stunning thing. You know, he, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, he sees us as defiled and then he sees us as perfectly cleansed, perfectly forgiven, perfectly loved. I mean, it's an amazing thing. You ever wonder, does God actually see you and know this stuff? He knows every bit of it. Nothing is hidden from his sight and he loves you despite it. He longs to take you towards it. He doesn't long to... Ignore it, he longs to see it and cleanse it. And look at the effect it had on the early church, right? What did it do to these people? It says those who accepted the message were baptized, which symbolizes the cleansing of it coming right off. They 3,000 ran to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They were just utterly undone by it and transformed by it. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their property, gave to anyone who had need. This thing so just racked them, you know, exploded their lives, radically changed them. And that is the effect it's supposed to have on us today. You know, we're supposed to be utterly amazed. It's supposed to, like, transform the way we look at each other. I mean, the, the idea that how could you not forgive someone else when you've been confirmed so much? How can you not show grace? How can you not realize all that God has done for you just to make you look at everyone different? Look at all the stuff you have differently. You know, the idea that we are not to live in guilt and shame, not because we're so good, but that we are <laughs> so clean and so forgiven. And I'll just close with one last offering, which may seem one of these obscure offerings. There actually is one offering in the, in the in the uh, in the Bible which does offer leaven besides the Pentecost one and it's the what they call the peace offering the shalom offering which would symbolize your peace with God and it was accompanied by it was accompanied by Thanksgiving and I think that that, that regularly the high priest would regularly lift up another leaven thing <laughs> regularly cleansed which should result in our Thanksgiving and to me I think of that's me every morning Frankly, every night, I'm a new loaf lifted up on that daily and on a daily basis. I receive his forgiveness and his cleansing, which should result in what? Thanksgiving and praise. And Lord, send me out now. I want to serve you and I want to know you. Let me view all of my life in light of what you've done for me on this day. Let's pray. Ah, Lord, we uh, we say these things, Lord, but we want to feel it to the depth of our heart and soul. The depth, uh, know the depth of your love. Know the the depth of the power of what it means to truly be forgiven. Guilt and shame removed, that you see it all. And what you desire of us is simply to lift ourselves to you. And help us do that every day, Lord. Give us the humility to lift ourselves to you each and every day. To know that we don't need to pretend we haven't done stuff. We don't need to be defensive. We don't need to hide. But we can come out into the open because you cleanse us and make us new. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord. Let us embrace the peace we have with you. With thanksgiving and rejoicing and praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray.
0: Amen.